last time we were learning uh, Rav Kook's Orsa Tshuva, we spoke about the concept of Tshuva Tivis. And the Tshuva Tivis splits into two different domains. There's a Tshuva Tivis of the body and a Tshuva Tivis of the soul. And now we're going forward with the Tshuva Tivis of the, of the Neshama. So Rav Kook writes, Yoser Pnimis Hitshuva Tivis Hanafshis Varuchanis, more deep even. And uh, we started this year a little bit early, so we'll end a little bit, a little bit early. Those who want to see the footage from the first 15 minutes have to go behind the paywall. You know, we don't have a paywall, but, but as if yes. yet. So the tshuva tivis of the nefesh is even more deep. And it's what's referred to in Rav Kook's uh, writing, which is based on Chazal and based really on, on the Torah first, as musr haklayos, the musr haklayos, the musr of the kidneys, that the kidneys, like we say about Avram Avinu, gave guidance to Avram Avinu. Ayin Shon behind the paywall. So this is the nature of the human being, that when there's sarim and haderach, when they go away from the path, there's a visceral reaction. When a person falls into sin. So long as a person has not fallen into that place where they completely cover themselves over, this lashon of kfira from a lashon of to cover over, when they haven't completely the moss has not completely covered the soul to the point that there's no longer any access to the, to the natural instinct of the klayos and, and the heart. He starts to feel, or she starts to feel, a certain sense of pain, a certain sense of something is totally not right here. And this causes the person to be mizdaris. Going back to the way that I explained the Musar Klaios before, there's a certain secretion from the adrenal glands and a person feels fight or flight and there's something bad here. I need to get away from this. Until a person feels that I've sufficiently erased this chet. And again, sometimes erasing the chet, especially the way that the Rambam describes in Hilchah Shuva, chet could mean a, a, a funny, crooked way of thinking. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm doing something wrong. It could be a bad midah. It could be, when I say a funny way of thinking, it could be that I feel, I'll give you an example. I'll be a little uh, vulnerable here. L'chvod Rabbanit Brown. What's her first name? Brene? Brene Brown. Um, Be a little bit vulnerable. So I remember when I came back from yeshiva, this is a funny story. I came back from yeshiva, and I was a fabrenta chassid. You know, I was... Came back from yeshiva, year and a half, you know, pumping wind at my, you know, at my sails, and uh, overly zealous, as uh, is a healthy thing, but is, you know, needs to be re- recalibrated uh, in the other direction as well. So I remember, uh, at some point, I was home, and uh, my parents, Baruch Hashem, were Sabbath observant, and normally every week, my uh, father and mother, I think it's usually my father's job, turns off the motion detectors. So one week, it was busy before Shabbos, and probably the one time that I could ever remember in my entire upbringing, my father forgot to turn off the motion detectors. And I woke up in the morning, ready for shul, I came out, and I see the motion detector goes like that, you know, light on. And I said, oh no. And I know there's other motion detectors opening the door, you know, front door is open, or so, you know, it doesn't make a sound, but there's a, there's a... So I quickly ran into an adjacent room, Shabbos, you know, I ran into an adjacent room. And again, this is all healthy. This is a healthy thing. Shabbos, Yer Shemayim, it's good. And I ran into a room. And then my parents woke up, you know. Uh, I remember my younger brother also woke up. I was a little bit older than him. I said, come into the room. We sat in the room. And I said, I said, the motion detector, I can't, can't leave, it's Shabbos. <laughs> so my parents, my parents came, they said, 
They said, what, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing in the... I said, I said the motion detectors are on. I can't, I can't leave. And I remember it was a Gaval davening. We had an amazing davening. Pulled out the Sidurim and Lein uh, Haftorah even. We looked up in the Mishnah Brewer where they're supposed to make a bracha or not make a bracha on Haftorah if it's just B'yechidus. We had a great time. And uh, my father went to shul like a normal person. And he came back and he said, just so you know, like I bumped into Rabbi Sobolevsky in the shuls before Rabbi Sobolevsky had his own shul. He said, I bumped into Rabbi Sobolevsky, who was one of the big poskim in the neighborhood. And I told him your you know, story over here. And he said, it's an LED light, you know, like, uh, okay, we normally shut them off, but like, you don't have to spend the whole, you know, maybe it's better to go out in the afternoon and stay out of the house a little bit, but it's an LED light. It's not really, it's not really, it's not bona, it's not havaras uh, not. there's not, there's no, you know, there's no malacha here. And I said, oh, and I came out of the room, you know. And it turned out that I was choteh, choteh l'chumra, meaning I missed the mark, I went to this extreme. And sometimes tshuva means learning, I had this anxiety, right? And the anxiety was a healthy anxiety, Shabbos, Yerah Shemayim. But, but it's because I didn't learn enough. If I would have learned enough, and there are people who are walking around with all types of heavy things on their hearts about all the chataim that they've done, and some of those things are minhagim, or there are banans, which is not a small thing, and minhagim aren't a small thing either. But it's because we have this lack of knowledge that we feel this healthy but unhealthy kind of reaction to chit. Uh, to, to so, until a person feels that the sin has been, has been erased, expunged. And sometimes expunged because I stopped the action. Sometimes expunged because I realized, you know what, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I wasn't doing anything wrong. Or I wasn't doing what I thought I was doing wrong. This is a very complicated way of tshuva. That's already like a step backwards. Like, well, this is so natural. This is the natural form of tshuva. So Rav Cook says, and you know what, before we get into what's, what's misubach about this, I had actually intended to read. Um, many people are fond of showing the connection between across the ocean uh, Rav Salvechik also spoke about many of the same themes. Rav Salvechik has a sefer which he himself did not write, uh, but it's based on his lectures written by one of the students called On Repentance, or Al Chuva in Hebrew, which was translated afterwards. And there's many similar kind of themes. You know, were they influenced by one another in any uh, real way? Uh, I, don't, I don't know about the overlap in Zman. Could it be that Rav Salvechik was influenced by Rav Kook? He does speak about Rav Kook in a number of places. Um, but I just wanted to point out this one place where of Cook has, uh, where of Salvechik, excuse me, has a chapter here in Al Chuva. It's on page two thirteen. That even just the title itself is almost self-explanatory. Where Salvechik calls this chapter "Sin as the Anti-Aesthetic Experience." This is the anti-aesthetic experience. It means ew. Why ew? It's just ew. There's something about it that turns me off. It's, what, sins or sin as the anti-aesthetic experience. Let's see. What form does suffering take to the effect of communication of sin to man? Let us refer to the book of books for an answer. So there's Salvechik. The Torah tells us about the sin of the golden calf. And when the people heard the evil tidings, when they heard, Moshe Rabino came down and said, what did you do? What are the next words? They mourned. They mourned. And no man put on his ornaments. Chazal understood this as there were certain crowns that we received when we said Nasa Vinishma. There was a certain way we carried ourselves. There was a certain shine that was emanating from the Jewish people. And we instinctively knew 
this is not, we cannot put these crowns on right now. We cannot put on our ornaments. It's not time to put on makeup and, and earrings. It's not time to put on our best shirt. It's not time to put on, there's a certain natural mourning. In the wake of sin comes a strong feeling of sorrow. Previous day they'd engaged in, in wild, joyous celebration around the calf, but now they felt bitter sorrow of mourning. And where did that come from? It didn't come from, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't explain to them. He just, it was, they saw Moshe Rabbeinu's visceral reaction. He dropped the luchos. And they, in turn, had a, oh no. It was the anti-aesthetic. Right? And Rosavichik goes on, and I'm not going to go at length with this for now, but on page 213, you look for yourself. This is a very similar discussion to what what Rav Cook is talking about over here, that there is this feeling of something is crooked. I need to be mizdaris l'shuv l'takin esamavos. I need to go and fix that which has become crooked. And until I've actually straightened out the creases, something is, something is off. The inverse is also true. That there's something, and this is the, the other piece that I wanted to, to bring in, which is also natural, and I'll, I'll read less for time's sake. This is from a, a beautiful sefer, what a wonderful sefer, called Atar Lamelech from Rav Pam, who was sometimes referred to as a Kleiner Chafetz Chaim. They used to call him a small Chafetz Chaim because he had such charming midos. He was such a, such a ziskite of a man, if you could call a towering Talmud Chacham by such a name. So he has an essay. It's actually an essay on Purim, believe it or not, in the sefer Atar Lamelech, where he talks about Simcha. And he talks about the inverse of this experience. If I can't find it, I'll just say it out loud. Um, where he talks about the, the experience of simcha. And he says that simcha, we also kind of viscerally know when things are going. I mean, it's not just about tshuva when things are going wrong. Those same kloyos, those same kidneys that give us a sort of like SOS sign when things are not going right, also know how to tell us when, you know what, you're, this, this is good. And so he describes so beautifully a pasuk from Malachim Aleph. And I'll just kind of share it outside, but I'll read the pasuk inside. The Pasuk says that when Shlomo Melech is finally building the Beis HaMikdash, this is after years of waiting for this final resting place to come, to come to the place where Hashem is setting up his final headquarters for all of eternity. So by Yom HaShmini, after seven days of Miluim, on the eighth day of partying, they had seven days of inaugural partying, by Yom HaShmini, on the eighth day, he sent everybody home. And they all blessed the king. They went back to their tents. Happy and joyous of heart. About all of the good that Hashem had done to David and to the Jewish people in setting up the Beis HaMikdash. Now if you read the Pesukim in Malachim Aleph, Perak Ches, that come before that, this is already Pasuk Samach Vav, this is already the end of the, the party. But at the beginning, it talks about how there was dancing and there was food and there was drink and it was the king's party. It was like the Suda Vachshverish to Kedusha. You know, in holiness. So they all went home. The Gemara in Moed Katan says, they went home smechim, shenenu miziv hashchina. Because they had clearly benefited, they clearly enjoyed from the, from the ziv hashchina during those seven days of partying. Says Rapam and Atar Lamelech, and on this part I'll share outside, they went home smechim from the ziv hashchina. They went home smechim because they just spent seven days on the king's tab with the best wine and the best meat and the best musicians and a real party. It was a real, you know, it was a real uh, sound and light show. Jugglers and everything. So they went home smechim from the Ziva Shechina. Says Rav Pam Mehechitesi, how did Chazal know that? So Rav Pam says, because the seven days of partying were over and in exactly the same way that Rav Salavetri just explained that after they had the party, 
the next day, the morning after, Rishav Salyachik writes about it, he uses this language of the morning after. The dawning of the morning after that happens that day after when you're like, oh no. Here, Chazal noted that in Pasuk Samach Vav, after the seven days of partying, it says they went home, smechem, on the eighth day, they woke up the next day, and they went home, smechem, v'tuvelev. Well, that doesn't happen if the simcha is just a simcha of basar v'yayin. The simcha that lasts on the eighth day, and the ninth day, and the tenth day, when you go home to your tent, and you could start to process what just happened after the, the music stops pumping, is a, there's a, again, there's the, there's the musar haklayos that say, this was a holy type of simcha. It was nenemiz v'ashchimah. The fact that it's staying with us and we don't feel a sense of oh no means that this is the Musr Tivis Ruchanis that's telling me this is good. Something positive just happened here. So now I just give you an example of the Cheda Egel and it's polar opposite the setting up of the Beis HaMikdash which in some understandings is a, you know, the Mishkan comes to help for the sin of the Cheda Egel and to correct the sin of the Cheda Egel. So what does Rav Kook mean here when he says that this tshuva is misubach harbe ma'od? This is a very dangerous almost. This is a very winding and not clear path. The whole definition that Rav Kook just gave us for this kind of type of tshuva is that it's yashar. Hashem made man yashar. So what does it mean it's misubach? So the real answer is I don't know. I don't know what Rav Kook means. It seems to be a stira but I have a, a thought that I'd like to share. And let's read maybe another sentence or two so that we can maybe see what Rav Cook says and people would like to share in the, in the studio audience or in the YouTube comments. Feel free. This type of tshuva is taloi on many different... There's so many different prerequisites to this tshuva. There are tanoim, rabim, pnimim, v'chitsonim. There are external and internal. There's, there's all types of 101 classes that we need to take in order to rely on this tshuva. So, Rav Kook, make up your mind. Is this tshuva tivis that's like instinctive? Like we spoke about last week, ima ko'evli. It's like the child knows that it hurts. Or is this something that has all these prerequisites? It's like, come on, Rav Kook didn't realize that there's this like a blatant stira. There are many different ways that a person can actually go wrong with this methodology of tshuva, of just relying on instinct. If, as the good Rabbanit just described, that tshuva tivis, is, tivis means instinct, so then how could there be, you know, ta'a? We could see very clearly in a moment how there could be ta'a. You could go on your instinct, and your instinct could lead you very badly astray. Shechovahi li mehem. So there are certainly, and this is, again, this is the first chapter of Kukisang. I'm going to talk about all three of these in depth along the journey of the Sefer or Satshuva, but here are the categories. And you should know that I'm going to have to warn you, as other Svarim did before, that there are, there are snafus along the way, there are traps along the way that can actually trip you up if you just rely on instinct. Aval, mikol makom hu echad hayesodos. But this, nevertheless, is one of the foundational paths to Tshuva. Shetochen ha nisha'en alehem. That this is one of the legs of the tripod of tshuva. The tripod of tshuva has the instinctive, but, and I guess this already begins to resolve the stira, but don't think that the instinctive is enough because sometimes the instinct can lead you astray. There is also the tshuva emunit, 
the, the, faith, the faith-based tshuva, emunis, and there's also the sikhlis, which we're going to get into. We'll probably only have time to do emunis this week. We'll get into sikhlis next week. But I want to go one step deeper. And this, I think, is uniquely understood by Jews who live in Eretz Yisrael. And I think Rav Kook, who was obviously on fire for Eretz Yisrael, as everybody knows, and who in the letter that he wrote to, that's why we had to read that letter before, in the letter that he wrote to Rav Yaakov Moshe Chalap that we had in the first two shirim, he wrote that I'm writing this book because there are certain things that are only functional in Eretz Yisrael because there is a certain coming back to life that's happening to the Jewish people on a national level, and that affects the individual as well. And so there are certain things that we are able to talk about, you know, like in the same way that there are certain things that you talk about when you're within the walls of your own house that's only for the family, that you don't talk about when you're, you know, out there amongst uh, the rest of the world. Derch Agav, just because it popped into my mind, and there's a Klal Gadol from Rabbi Nachman that when something pops into your mind, you should share it. So... Maybe this will help somebody in some way who's listening to this. That uh, there's a Svarno, that the Svarno explained that when Avram Avinu and Lot are bickering and they separate from one another, there is a funny clause there in the Pasuk that refers to the fact that the Kenani were Azba'aretz, which is uh, something which is seized upon by many thinkers, to, to, you know, people who are against the Torah. Kenani Azba'aretz, uh, it's not for now. But the Svarno explains very simply what does it mean that. Uh, what does it mean the Knani were then in the land? What do you mean they were then in the land? I guess I'll, I'll just say that there are some people, chas v'shalom, who would dare to claim that they should do tshuva, that they would dare to claim that it's because the Torah was written in Eretz Yisrael, not in the Midbar of Moshe Rabbeinu, or that Pasuk was added, that this is a Pasuk that was added later, Knani az ba'aretz, before we conquered, the, the word az, chalila. There are even statements in the Rishonim that seem to say such a thing, and Rav Moshe Feinstein thought that that was a forgery, that that's not really a, a real thing that a Rishon could have possibly said. No. So, Kanani Azbar, the Svarno says so beautifully, maybe that's the part that somebody needed to hear, I don't know. The Svarno says so beautifully, Kanani Azbar means that there's a difference between Avram and Lod bickering with each other when the Kanani are Azbar. Meaning, it would have been one thing if it was like, this is the Torah projecting. Like, it would have been one thing if this was already the promise that Hashem knows later is going to be given to Avram Avinu, that it's going to be, Eretz Yisrael is going to be, you know, his home. It's one thing if you're amongst uh, your, own, uh, your own people and uh, the way that we sometimes, as Yidin do, speak to each other, you know, in the supermarket, you know, instead, ah, you know, a shtuf, a nice sharp word here and there. It's one thing if we're amongst ourselves, but at the Canaan, it has like a different ring to it. And that's true in many different areas. It's true also in the level of the way that we could speak about how tshuva works. Rav Kook said this is something which is unique to Eretz Yisrael. So to bring this back home, Rav Kook writes in the Sefer Oros, in Os Dalid, the very beginning of Sefer Oros, Rav Kook talks about the power of intuition that a Jewish person has in Eretz Yisrael. And so this misubach, this you know, path of tshuva, which is very misubach, which is very, it's not clear, and there's a lot of, prerequisites to relying on instinct, I'd say one of those prerequisites is that the Jewish people have to be in their homeland. To rely on your instinct is something that is not as, it's not as mushrash when you're not in Eretz Yisrael. In fact, before we read this piece from Rav Kook, another Torah from the Gra, in the Hakdama to the Sefer Pa'asa Shulchan, which was written by one of the students of, of the Gra, 
So there is a brief introduction about the, the life of the Grah and some of his students. In that uh, introduction, there's a story about how one day the Grah told Rav Itzela uh, Velazhner, Rav Chaim Velazhner's brother, he said, I need you to go quickly to your brother, Rav Chaim, and tell him, okay, they don't tell these stories about you and me, you need to go tell him that he's going to be visited by, a, by an angel, by a malach, by a, a magid, and he's going to want to share secrets of Torah with him. He should not do it. He should not listen. This is not good. He should only learn Torah with his own toil, and he should not, this is not for him. <laughs> and if he'll tell you, if he'll tell you, says the Gra, to Itzel if Rav Chaim will say back to you, but, uh, but we have in our history, we know that, uh, for example, this is the example that he gives, that Rav Yosef Cairo uh, received direct communication from Malachim, the author of the Shulchan Aruch himself. There's a sefer called Magid Meisharim, which is the communications of a, of, um, of a Malach to Rav Yosef Cairo. So the Grah said two things. Number one, this was many years before. This is already several hundred years earlier. And number two, he was in Eretz Yisrael. He was in Eretz Yisrael. That's what the Grah said. He could trust the intuition of this, because a malach that comes is not some external, it's not, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's some sort, it's a sickly thing that's, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a real thing, it's real, but it's, uh, it's a sickly type of thing. And now let's read the words of Rav Kook. It's a short piece. It is not possible for a person completely. It doesn't mean that you should just panic if you're, uh, if you're not in Eretz Yisrael. And it doesn't mean that if you're in Eretz Yisrael, you should, you know? Because uh, as one of my good friends once uh, noted, which is a very, f- it's like a, a quip that st- sticks with me all the time, and it's very important for people who live in Eretz Yisrael, much more so than people who live outside, although both need both. That uh, a friend of mine once said, a person could be in New York City and be sitting in Jerusalem pizza. Or a person could be in Yerushalayim and they could be sitting in Big Apple pizza. And what he meant by that is, a person could be in New York and they're mamish on fire for Eretz Yisrael and because they have older parents or because they have older children that it's not exactly the time and they need to wait and but they're mamish in Jerusalem pizza, you know what I mean? They're like, their whole essence is like chalashing for Yerushalayim. And you have some people who are living in Eretz Yisrael, in Yerushalayim, they're sitting in Yerushalayim, and all day they're in that state of mind. I don't think he was talking about the actual chanut that everyone should enjoy, big apple pizza. I'm not trying to take away business from any establishments. You could be in this mindset of dreaming of the big apple, of dreaming of, you know, it's so much easier there, and so much this there, and uh, then I wouldn't trust my intuition so strong. And maybe a person can tap into that view of the Eretz Yisrael outside of Eretz Yisrael also. It is impossible for a Jewish person to give himself over, limsor, to give himself over and to trust completely their thoughts, their logic, their imagination, their dreams, their intuition. You cannot compare the way that a person can trust their instinct and their intuition when they're in Eretz Yisrael. There's a certain clear cleanliness in the air of Eretz Yisrael that seeps into the soul and allows us to trust our intuition. It's less misubach. 
That's one of the preconditions to relying on this tshuva, this instinctive type of tshuva. However, says Rav Kook, and this is what I just said a moment ago, the more that a person's tshuka is for Eretz Yisrael and his kosher to Eretz Yisrael, kashur with a kuf, is tied to Eretz Yisrael, whether you're in Eretz Yisrael, outside of Eretz Yisrael, the more that a person is tied to Eretz Yisrael and is listening to Torah's Eretz Yisrael and is, is, is tapped in to that unique light that is shining out of Eretz Yisrael, the more they're able to tap into the avir, the Eretz Yisrael, that's machkim, that gives this intuition. Al-Kain, kol mi shemitzapelir osa, anybody who is yearning to see Eretz Yisrael, who is yearning to see the building of Eretz Yisrael, simchus Yerushalayim v'giluba kol oveha, can rejoice in this light that's coming out of Yerushalayim, that's coming out of Eretz Yisrael, all those who love, all those who love Eretz Yisrael, all those who love Yerushalayim, are able to tap into this, into this unique light. So this is Rav Kook's approach of tshuva tivis ruchanes, the reaction that is innate, that's in the body, but that is, again, as Rav Kook says in the very last line, is, is something, is a nishan, it's something to, to rely on, and it's a, it's a crutch, but if we are spinning out of control and the chaos of the world keeps spinning faster and faster and faster, or to use the language of Rav Yisrael of Rizhin, that Rav Yisrael of Rizhin said, Yaakov Chevel Nachloso, the Jewish people are called Chevel Nachloso, we're called the rope of God. And that has a, maybe a different interpretation in, in Pshat, but Rav, the, the Rizhiner said, and this is found in the writings of the Baal Tanya also, that when a person is doing mitzvos, so every Jew is like hanging onto a rope. When we do a, do a mitzvah, we're shaking that rope and we're, you know, we're making contact up above. But that rope that we're hanging on to, when we shake it properly, so it stirs Shemayim above. But there's also a way that that rope, that chevel nachlasa, the Jewish people are, every person, individually, collectively, as a nation, cosmically, the whole world is hanging on to this rope. And the Rishner explained that as we get closer and closer to the end, the Yitzhahara starts to take that rope, not with mitzvos, and not in a gentle kind of nice way of like a nice breeze, but a nice breeze everyone can appreciate, but a, you know, a storm that's like blowing and starts to shake that rope so uncontrollably that we start to get blisters on our hands and we can't, we're barely holding on. For dear life, we're holding on to this rope. This chevel nachlas was shaking so strong and only someone who's holding on for dear life is able, to, is able to hold on. So as we're spinning in this, whatever muscle you want to use, as we're spinning and we're losing balance in these last few moments, so we need this, we need this instinctive tshuva. But the last line that Rav Kook says here in this paragraph is that it's one of the three legs of the tripod. It's, it's a balance, but there's other aspects that are necessary, and there's all these other conditions that will allow us to properly tap into, into tshuva. So now, we'll just, this last paragraph, the last 10 minutes of the shir, so. I don't rely on the alone. Don't rely on it alone. No, but it's like a motivator that you need the legs to support it. And it's there. And it's there, and it will kick in automatically. Mm-hmm. But recognize that you can override it. Mm-hmm. And because you can override it, as we explained before, through this mode of covering over and the mode of as the world continues to evolve and spin, it just becomes harder to rely on intuition. And for certain stages of history, and even people who are still in that stage of history, and even we're in that stage without a Bisa Mikdash. 
So as the gullus is going deeper and deeper and deeper, so you know, the bones start to wither more and more until all that's left in the language of the Mikubalim is a kusta dechiyusa, is a spark of life. We're just barely alive, and from that spark of life, we can start to regenerate again. But to just rely on instinct is... Uh, many people have been led astray by instinct. So Rav Cook says, after this... Yeah, yeah, please. Some people who make a big mistake and they ignore it. Call it instinct, call it intuition. They ignore it. Usually, I've found in my experience of life, if you ignore your intuition, you're going to go down a road that you don't want to go down. Yeah. So it's a, it's a balance to know that something's going on. Sure. Follow it, but just like tempered. Yeah. I'll tie it into what we were saying before about, um, I don't know if people can hear, the, the, the idea that there is this possibility and frequent, unfortunately, um, this position that people will ignore the intuition, the intuition that's saying, hey, something's wrong. And to tie it into what we were talking about before, um, you could do the same thing with the body also. Right? You feel this ache. There's a little bit chas v'shalom, uh, something unusual. You know? I'm not a stranger to that myself. There's a little bit of a, there's a lump. There's a skin aberration. There's something. That's nothing. You, know? you should really get it checked out by the doctor. No, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. The body is saying something is wrong here. Right? If it continues for long enough, you need to... And in the same way that that's true in the body, then there's also there's a, there's a possibility in the soul, which is why we need these other modes of tshuva, which is tshuva emunis, which we're about to jump into now, which is we have books, we have a faith, we have... We, Hashem made promises to us that there is this, this mode of tshuva and that we need to wake up. So let's just do a few more lines here. Achrei tshuva after the natural tshuva, there comes, I don't know if this is a higher level necessarily or a deeper level, but it is something that comes after. The natural tshuva is there, but then it needs to be followed up with something else. And it comes with something that's called tshuva emunis. This comes from ethics. Ethics, which of Cook was not afraid to say certain things that got lost from the Jewish tradition that got scattered amongst the nations of the world, the Musar of the world that we need to take back from there, and Hadas, and of religion, right? The fact that he says Musar and Das means that there's such a thing as Musar that comes from outside of Das also. There's something that comes from studying works of ethics and comes from studying works of religion. This religion has dealt a lot with Tshuva, especially the Jewish religion. It's important that we review and we remind ourselves, and that's why the machzer is filled with Anyam Kippur and Rosh Hashanah and Slichos, and is filled with psukim from Tanakh, scores and scores of psukim from Tanakh that make this promise that when a person has gone astray, there is a methodology for Aziva Sachet, Charata, Kabbalah Asir. There are different steps that a person needs to do, and it takes a certain amount of emuna, of faith, in these systems. It's not necessarily something that I feel, something that I was taught, something that I learned. It is possible, it is, according to the Nevi'im, inevitable that the individual and society will eventually get it right, will we'll have a turnaround. The Nevi'im are filled with unbelievable ideas about tshuva. And these are not just promises that we're waiting to, f- to have fulfilled. 
But one can say that it is these very promises that we will eventually do tshuva that orient all of our ability to continue going on after we've fallen a million times. Like the story with uh, Reb Zusha, that Reb Zusha got up one morning and he said, Rebona Shalom, today's Zusha is really going to serve you. Everyone knows Reb Zusha never referred to himself as I. He always called himself Zusha. He said, oh, this, today Zusha is really going to serve you. And if you'll say that yesterday I said the same thing and the day before I said the same thing, but today really I'm going to do it. Where, where does a person get the strength to, to, to even do that? The answer is that it comes from the promise that there's going to be tshuva in the end. Bechal kol erech where does a person get the strength to, when they get a patch, to, to take it in stride? It's because we recognize that there's a recalibration that's happening. And hopefully, for ourselves, and Hashem should help the leaders of the Jewish people to do this in a way where they don't, people don't look at them askance and not to say the silly things that people are not ready to hear or able to hear, that we understand that on an individual level, that when something negative happens, the natural reaction of a faithful person, as the Rambam writes in Hilchas Tanios, is to say, what am I doing wrong? What's, why don't I just say, forget this, you know, you're going you're gonna to give me a smack, or, or chas v'shalom, you know, bleachers are going to collapse in a shul, people are davening. Uh, forget it. Now, sometimes we do silly things and we react in a way where we start playing prophet. Rav Cook is saying the prophets already laid the groundwork that we don't have to necessarily make a correlation you know, to show it was this that caused this. But it does mean that on some greater level, religion has, the, has introduced to the world the ability to be mitmoded with, with tragedy, with, with difficult things. And where, where do we get the strength to do that? Where does a person draw the strength to do that? It's from tshuva emunis. Chelek zeshel tshuva in the depths of this religious identity, which is, fil- I mean, this is all the svarim that came before of Kuk, which he's channeling, which is the Maharal's Nesif HaTshuva, and the Rambam's Mornevuchim, and the Rambam's Yara Chazaka, the Rambam's Hilchus Tshuva, that's filled with all these directions, and the, and the Sefer of Tshuva from Rabbeinu Yonah, and all the different svarim that have written about Tshuva. These things have Pratim Le'en Cheker, and I'm going to try, says Rav Kuk, to make it in an encyclopedic, organized fashion to bring together some of these ideas, which are the tshuva emunis. That is, on a certain level, what Rove of the Sefer is about. It's giving us these asher ach klaleim v'yesodeim drushim harchavasim diburim ubirim rabim. Even just the klalim, forget about the pratim, even just the klalim, we could go on for hours, says Rav Kuk, talking about what are the klalim of tshuva, and how do these things work on a, an emuna level, in a, in a, in a broad way that we have kalim that have been given to us by religion and by ethics from the world. How does a person, it's not just, uh, it's not just a, an approach of, of religion. It's also psychology of, of how do you deal with, with trauma. That's also part of this emunis. It's something which is less reactionary and innate and somehow indigenous to the human spirit and something which is more of a discovered wisdom. I, I would say, and with this we'll close, I would say that even in the Musarit, in the ethical kind of approach to this tshuva emunis, that who says that we should put any faith in the various person goes, let's say a person has a traumatic experience, which is in, in need of recalibration, which is what, tru, what tshuva is. Tshuva is not repentance, not hitting myself on the chest. 
It's recalibration. So a person has a traumatic experience because of something they did or something that was done to them. Either way, it doesn't really matter. And you go to a competent psychologist, someone who understands the way that the mind uh, works and how a person processes these things, which I would say is just as much musar as reading a, a book of ethics, you know, Ben Franklin's book of ethics or something like that. It's part of the ethics of how to manage with, with trauma. Why should I put any stock in that? We see that it helps people. Why, why should we believe that there's any wisdom there? It's because we, have, we put faith in it, and, and that's good. And it's good that, that society puts faith in understanding that there are certain things that we've developed along the way, there are th- certain things that have been revealed through the Torah along the way, and it's proper and good, says Rav Kook, to put our faith in those things. It's not the natural reaction of tshuva, but it's things that the, Jew, that the Jewish people have learned along the way. It's things that the, that the world has discovered along the way. And by helping ourselves to learn how to cope with bad, bad, you know, bad choices and things that have happened to us that kind of steered us away from the derech. So that's part of this path of tshuva that will lead us eventually to this third category of tshuva, which we'll deal with, we'll start with next week, which is called tshuva sikhlis, which will be very appropriate to be in the kemat and the aserasimei tshuva already, to be thinking about these inyan of tshuva sikhlis, which... For of Cook is, is really the, the apex of tshuva. That, we could say, is a higher level of tshuva than the first two. But uh, Mirza Shem will continue with that next week. I thank everyone for joining. Uh-huh.